Well, it's time to discuss some of the bigger issues facing the world at the moment with the one and only Alex Selios from thebigsmoke.com.au. Alex, uh, no dating things to talk about tonight, but some interesting topics nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, so I'll give you a break from the dating topic stuff. <laughs> one thing I am fascinated about is, look, I get that there are some people out there that just love Christmas so much. Mm-hmm. And we often complain about the supermarkets selling Christmas items way too early. And, and I noticed... Uh, I was in Aldi the other day and there's already panettone in the shops and various Christmas foods. But are there people actually putting their Christmas decorations up now? Absolutely. And people, and you know, can I just say, for all the criticisms of the supermarket and the department stores over putting out Christmas decorations or Christmas food, um, you know, they, they wouldn't do it if the market wasn't there and exactly. if people weren't buying. Yes. So, so you know, it, it's, it's definitely meeting a market need. But... um. But the interesting thing about this is a lot of people do a little bit more than just have a few extra weeks of Christmas fun. They'll actually start doing the tree around October. They'll start listening to Christmas music around um, October, November. Um, and, you know, it, it annoys a lot of people. But psychologists believe that it's all about what they call anchoring uh, certain memories. So, for example, people who tend to obsessively put up decorations early usually do it for good nostalgic reasons. So they're either trying to relive the magic of their childhood or they're compensating for a difficult year, whatever it might be. It really becomes about finding things that associate them to happy memories. Um, So evoking strong feelings of their childhood is a way to anchor or pathway those old childhood magical emotions Mm. of excitement. But not everyone you know, falls into this category because some people actually Christmas is a, is a negative trigger. Mm. So they've had a bad childhood or they've lost family or whatever it might be. Maybe that Christmas reminds them of something really terrible. But, you know, for, for those of, of society who love Christmas, I don't think it's a really big deal. If they want to put up their tree in October, who cares? Yeah, oh, look, I love Christmas, but I think if I started, that would be just far too much Mariah Carey for my liking. Yeah, well, I mean, this is the thing. I think it's about what do you do to evoke those feelings. I mean, I look forward to planning the menu and and to know that my friends and family are going to be around me, all of that stuff. Um, I'm not really looking to put a Santa Claus, um, you know, figurine out the front of my house or anything like that. But for some people, it makes them happy. And um, and the researchers believe that in a world full of anxiety and stress, people like to associate with things that make them feel good. Now, some parents have uh, adopted a uh, rather unique way of disciplining their children. Tell us about this. So uh, Creepy Clowns has always been a thing. I mean, the stuff that Stephen King films are made of. And, um, you know, there, there was a recently a, a clown in Florida um, who's been famous for around uh, about five years now, and his name is Wrinkles. And if you Google Wrinkles the Clown in Florida, you will see the image of a man who looks like he has a melted clown face. It's like a paper mache face. <laughs> right. um, it's a horrific Pennywise. And um, and basically, he has been hired to be part of prank videos. People put him on YouTube, all of that. But some parents have actually hired him to teach their kids lessons. So one incident um, that occurred was a parent hired wrinkles to hide in their child's bedroom. And when he wouldn't go to sleep, that made wrinkles come out. I mean, how? I mean, will that child ever sleep again? I don't think so. <laughs> um, you know, it's just terrible. Another parent did it because they their child used to go to the bus stop at, for school and then would run away or, or go hang out with his friends and not actually turn up to school. And so the mother organised for wrinkles to stand at the bus stop asking for him. 
Yeah. And now he apparently goes to school every day. I mean, you know, we can be, you know, facetious about it, but I think this is really poor parenting. Yeah, I'm I'm seeing a lot of therapy down the track. Yeah, I mean, creepy clowns. I mean, this is not, I mean, we're not talking about 18-year-olds. I mean, you often see YouTube videos of people, and a lot of Australian YouTubers do this, where they scare you by going into the lift and they look like the scary girl from the ring or, you mm. know, they're dressed up as some crazy, like, evil nun or something. But this is 11, 12, 13-year-olds we're talking about. Yeah, okay. Well, I'd love to know what your thoughts on this are. Is it bad parenting to hire a scary clown to scare your kids into behaving themselves? 13, 27, 10. Um, you know what? I think we should bring back corporal punishment for these smartphone zombies. So smartphone zombies, I mean, a few years ago, there was a woman who was in China and she was walking through a restaurant and she was not really focusing on what was around her. She was rather looking at her smartphone and in doing so, she actually kicked the cylinder, a gas cylinder in the restaurant and it caused a huge fire and a a lot of damage. Um, And then we've seen situations where, for example, in London, a few years ago, they trialed the concept of padding street lamps because people were walking into them. Other places are looking into, um, you know, laneways that are just for people using their mobile phones. That's how serious this has become. In Australia, for example, distraction is the, is the you know, it's con- a contributing factor to 22% of car crashes and 71% of truck crashes um, with, you know, with, with statistics finding that, you know, people who are using their mobile phones, you know, they're, they're accounting for approximately one in four car crashes as being the biggest distraction for, for drivers. Um, and it's not just a matter of, you know, get off your phone. I mean, I think it's also about understanding the impact of being on your phone. So, for example, um, a lot of people think they're just mildly distracted for a second while they ch- check a message. But the reality is that they're, you know, they're distracted in three different different ways. They're physically distracted, so if their hands are not on the wheel of the car or they're not focusing at work or whatever they might be doing because they're also using their phone in one hand. There's the visual distraction, so that's the eyes are diverted from what's happening around them and focusing on the screen. But then there's also the cognitive distraction, and that's all about the difficulty we have um, in processing two or more pieces of information at the same time. So our concentration and our judgment um, is impeded by impeded by that. So it's really about taking into consideration the complexity of our activities, not just as, as we are impacted, but those around us. Um, you know, just even walking down the street and bumping into someone in a, in a very um, hard way could really damage another person. Yeah, and I think it just stems from bad manners. Now, uh, last but not least, if you've got a mate that complains all the time, you should get rid of him or her. You know, I, I, I love this story because, you know, one of the things that happens in social circles is we tend to remain friends with people that we've known for many years just purely because the history is there. So, for example, you stay friends with a friend from primary school, not that you necessarily have anything in common anymore. Um, And I remember in my 20s, I had a really large group of of friends, but everybody was really miserable. Nobody was that nice to each other. Nobody was doing anything interesting with their lives, and they're still not. And um, and fortunately, I I moved away from that circle, um, and I ensured that I had friends around me that were smart people, interesting people, had really interesting lives, and that's made me a better person and made me a better friend. 
Um, and so it was interesting to see the research actually support this. And it was part of a process called the Complaint Restraint Project. And it was all about people trying to stop themselves from complaining for a month. And the idea behind it was that it was taking into consideration that when we complain, our brains release stress hormones. Mm. And that harms neural connections in areas where we use our brains for problem solving and other cognitive functions. So if we are exposed to that or we're consistently partaking in that, it can really impact not just, you know, ourselves, but the people around us. So I think it's just about being a bit more discerning um, in, in who you spend your time with and why. Well, Alex, I think we're turning into a nation of whingers, and this is uh, evidence that says we should stop it. I think it's, yeah, stop complaining and stop hanging around losers. Yep, absolutely. Alex, <laughs> always good to talk to you. We'll catch you again next week. Thanks. Alex Selios from thebigsmoke.com.au.